Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and home inspector Carrie Smith from InspectTech. If you need an opinion from experts in the areas of insurance, mortgages, or building inspections, Denise, Lori, and Carrie are great people to talk with. To find their contact information, just go to the CFAX 1070 website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, the whole home show with me, Tony Joe, uh, and all of their information is there. Or you can always just track me down uh, either online, social media, or on the CFAX 1070 website too. So what's my background as your host for the hour? I'm a locally born and raised Victorian. I've been selling homes here in Victoria for 27 years. And I've overseen over 2,500 transactions locally. 2,500 transactions. Seems like a lot. Uh, so I've basically seen almost every situation you can imagine. Call me if you need a seasoned professional for your real estate needs. I'd be happy to help. What hazardous, what hazardous materials exist around your home or the home you're looking at buying? Today, our topic is on asbestos and contaminated soil with other fun stuff as well, too. Our guests are Cynthia Sove, Senior Occupational Hygienist at Island EHS, that's Environmental Health and Safety, and Ingo Lambrecht from PGL Environmental Consultants. Uh, looking forward to this episode here. There's going to be some great information. Uh, let's start our show with our weekly listener question. If you have a question or a curiosity about real estate, call us on our hotline. The number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or find us, again, online, cfax1070.com, and we'll discuss it on the air. I received an email this week from Clark and Daphne. Uh, I will read it to you. It says, we are preparing to sell our house. When a buyer makes an offer and an inspection is done, who is responsible for any repairs or modifications that might need to be made? Who is responsible for any repairs or modifications that might need to be made? Thanks for your question, Clark and Daphne. Uh, very good question indeed. Uh, as most people know, when you're buying a house, which is generally the biggest investment you'll ever make in your life, always a good idea to have a building inspection done, to know what you are uh, looking at, to know what you're getting yourself into. You see, uh, real estate agents like myself, we're not qualified to give opinions on the condition of a property. What you really need is to get a building inspector, like Carrie Smith, who we'll be talking to in a few minutes here, uh, to go through the house and to give their professional opinion on items such as major systems, uh, the condition of the roof, uh, electrical system, um, foundation. People are always concerned about cracks in foundation. Foundation, obviously, a really big issue. Uh, other things that we'll be talking about today, things like uh, underground oil storage tanks or the presence of asbestos in a property, those are things, as a buyer, that you're going to want to know about as you're looking at a property. Now, Let's face it, in the past couple of years, it's been a really busy real estate market in Victoria. A lot of times people have been buying 
houses because they have to compete under multiple offer. They have not had a chance to do building inspections. And, you know, that is a really risky proposition. We tell all of our clients in conditions like that or situations like that, that if it is a delayed offer and, you know, the seller's not looking for offers for three or four days, you're going to want to get an inspection done beforehand, even not knowing if you're going to get the deal under competition because you need that safety of knowing what you're getting yourself into. But to get back to your question, Clark and Daphne, who is responsible for that? Well, it really depends on the situation. In a regular market, in a, in a balanced market, even a buyer's marketplace, when an inspection is done and things are found that might cause the deal to go sideways, as the seller, you may want to consider having a conversation about either correcting them or negotiating with a buyer in some way or other. In a strong seller's market, like we've had recently here, unfortunately, there's not a lot of power on the part of the buyer because uh, most of the time the seller will just say, hey, listen, you either take the house or you don't. You did that building, building inspection basically for your own edification, for you to know what you're getting yourself into. the One of the biggest issues we do find sometimes is when buyers try to use the building inspection as a renegotiation tool. You need to be aware of the fact that if you start having conversations about um, uh, repairs in the house, that does constitute reopening up the contract and renegotiation, which means that the seller has the opportunity to cancel the offer and just move on to the next buyer. So you need to be very, very cautious. So who is responsible for repairs or modifications. Uh, again, uh, or one last thing I want to bring up, it often depends on the situation, though, too. So we just had one last week where there was a leak in the plumbing uh, that was going into the crawl space. Uh, so let's face it, the seller, whether or not the house sells, would fix that anyways because you don't want a leak going on, especially from the time that the deal was made to when the buyer moves in, which is two months later. Like, that's a lot of damage that can happen. So those are things to consider. Thanks for emailing in, Clark and Daphne. If you, the listener, have a has a question about real estate that you'd like answered on the air, please give me a call, 250-414-6540, uh, or go online again at cfax1070.com, and we'd be happy to discuss it on the air. And now it's time for our home tip of the week. Today, our show sponsor, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, has your tip for you. Hi, Denise. Hi, Tony. How are you? Great. What do you got for the listeners this week? Well, I think probably one of the most important things when it comes down to applying for a mortgage um, is to make sure that your credit is in good standing. Um, it's uh, definitely one of the most important parts of your application and what the lenders are really looking over, um, more so than they did let's say, even five years ago. It's just become such an important part of the application. Well, And things have really changed, too, because I remember some time ago, uh, car leases weren't included in uh, the credit report, right? Correct. Yeah. And nor were cell phones. Cell phones now report to our credit bureaus. Oh, so. and that's a big one, too, because sometimes people don't pay. Their, they let it go for like 30 days or 40 oh. days or whatever, right? And some people walk away from their cell phone providers because they're uh. in a, a debate with them and whatnot, and they walk away from a contract, and it becomes bad debt. And sometimes that can prevent someone from getting a mortgage. Exactly. Okay. And on a positive note, sometimes our, our really young buyers, um, that's the first point of contact that they've established their credit is their cell phone. So you can start to build your credit really quickly with your cell phone provider right away. Mm -hmm. What's the best way for someone to check in on how their credit is like? I mean, this is something they should be doing on a regular basis anyways, right? There's a, yeah, actually, there's a lot of means to be able to do that now, um, even just going on to the either TransUnion or Equifax websites. 
Um, there's very easy instructions on how to register so that you can check your um, credit multiple times during the year um, without it actually hitting your credit score, as in what we call an inquiry. Mm-hmm. Well, um, actually, so hold, hold on for one sec there. So just so as the listeners know, um, the concern about having your credit looked into too often is is what? that you could be a credit seeker. Uh-huh. So if you've got multiple applications out there for credit cards or loans, or um, uh, it's mostly in those lines. When you're looking to extend yourself and get obtain more credit, uh, every inquiry will uh, report on the Bureau, and they are counted. Mm-hmm. So that would show to a lender looking at your, if you've got uh, multiple inquiries to um, different credit card companies or loans, uh, it would say that you're cre- you're um, seeking credit. It's a red flag. And you might need a neat, yeah, it could be a red flag that you are falling short on your monthly budget and you're looking to extend credit-wise. Okay, but then again, with these other services to check your own credit, you're safe from that? You betcha. Yeah, they don't they don't count as an inquiry. It's your own personal look. You have your right to look at your own credit. Yeah, you know this is it's such an important thing, and and I'm glad you're bringing it up today because I think this is an area that people often forget about. They just assume that everything is fine. Absolutely, and it, it is uh, the very first thing. If I'm going to do a mortgage pre-approval, I cannot tell somebody they're pre-approved until I've looked at their credit because there's always can be a surprise, and there's always time to usually correct it if there's been any kind of weird. Uh, gosh, if somebody's applied for a credit card in your name, we will see that on the credit card. That doesn't make sense to you. You would tell me you'd never applied for that, yet there is something reporting on your bureau. Of course. Now, on the flip side, too, I think it sometimes works out where people are concerned about their credit, but they find out that actually it's fine. More so, more often than not, that is the way, Tony. People are uh, nervous about it, and I pull their credit, and I say, you know what? You're doing just fine. It's you know, you, I know you thought you had a, a missed payment, but you really have to go into arrears. Like, you should be well over your 30-day payment late before it's going to get reported, yeah. and it has to be a pattern. Uh, you know, the, those um, reporting agencies would start to see a pattern of late missed payments. Good stuff. Well, Denise, people need to reach you. How do they do that? Uh, call me directly on my cell at 250-889-4743 or email me at denise at denisewebster.com. Great. Thanks for the tip of the week, Denise. We'll talk to you Anytime. soon. You bet. Thanks, Tony. Uh, And we're going to take a quick break. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. You know, your house is your biggest asset, something that will provide you and your family enjoyment for years to come or has the potential to be a bit of a nightmare. And by that, I mean... What's in your home? Let's face it, not every home in Greater Victoria is a new house. There's new building construction techniques and new technology that ha- that occurs every year. But a lot of the housing stock in Greater Victoria is older. Now, how do you know what's in your house? And that's going to be our conversation today. My guest right now is Cynthia Sove. Cynthia is a senior occupational hygienist at Island EHS. Cynthia, thanks for coming. Good morning. So, Cynthia, um, let's start with why people call Island EHS, um, both residentially and commercially. What what are the services that you guys provide? Well, I guess first and foremost to what you're speaking to today would be hazardous materials surveys um, for their building, their infrastructure. But we also offer indoor air quality, confined space assessments, uh, health and safety program, review, auditing, and generation 
uh, you name it, their services can be quite vast. All right, let's talk about uh, indoor air quality. Sure. Because, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time, and i got to say, I don't remember 20 years ago indoor air quality being an issue. And it is something that comes up on a regular basis now. So what has transpired? Um, well, I think we had that phase with sick building syndrome where we started changing our construction. And so people were finding things a little stuffier, right? So um, it did evolve from that point. I think it's always been around to some degree, but I think that was a stepping stone, obviously. Um, this day, a lot of what we get regionally is fungal, like mold spores, okay. right? There's a lot of people who... Is it because of, because of our environment here? We're in a wet environment. Yeah. So if things aren't tended to and taken care of over time, that can generate problems. Now, and, of course, we're familiar with this because we go into a house and we go in the basement and it smells really musty. That's a signal right there, right? That is a pretty good signal that you have something going on, whether it's perimeter drainage or just high humidity from occupancy yeah. or maybe there's a leak somewhere else. Okay. So, I mean, when we go into that house that smells uh, uh, mildewy or whatever, how... How dangerous is that for a person? Um, the science out there indicates that if we have visible mold, we should be taking care of it and remediating it and getting rid of it. Um, yeah, and that's things that we see against the walls. Like, uh, um, and, and we've seen it before where, you know, for years, people have maybe had the bed in the corner of the, uh, of the room. And when they take the bed away, there's that sort of black. That condensation, yeah. yeah. Mold is everywhere, so I don't want to sound alarmist. But obviously, we don't really want it in our living environment on a continual basis where we're getting higher than normal exposures. And, and like, how does it harm people? Um, it can cause sort of rhinitis, so runny nose, irritation of eyes. For those that um, have more exposures or may have lower immunity, it can end up in respiratory infections. Yeah. Um, even myself, my brother-in-law has cystic fibrosis and ended up with aspergillosis, which is it asp aspergillus is a type of mold. So okay. it got into his lungs because he was susceptible. He has a chronic lung disease. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So if somebody has, and let's talk about just a homeowner here. So not, not someone necessarily who's thinking about buying or selling, but somebody who is living in their home and enjoying their home. What are some uh, signs that they should be looking out for? In terms of mold or? Yeah. Um, well, We're a lot air of, quality, right? A lot of additional condensation, right? You want to control that. If it's occupant generated, be sure that you're turning on your fans when you're in your bathroom. When you're doing cooking, you get a lot of evaporation. Uh, make sure you put those localized fans on. They're there for a reason. Yeah, and you're talking about uh, fans in bathrooms because, of course, when you're showering or bathing, there's a lot of there's moisture. There's a lot right? of extra moisture that we need to get rid of. That's a lot of loading. Um, higher occupancy rates. If you have a lot of individuals in the house, what you need to do is maybe think of getting a dehumidifier. You'll see it. If you close your bedroom door at night and you sleep and you see condensation on the window, it's from that expiration from the individuals in the room. Mm -hmm. So you want to open windows up, pull the curtains back, get a dehumidifier. Yeah. Now, those are more the things that we can do as individuals, but sometimes it's more infrastructure, right? Leaky roof. Yeah. You're going to have to repair the roof, right? Yeah. That crack in that foundation wall is it that the perimeter drainage has collapsed and you need to address that because you're going to get more and more of that water pressure building up on your foundation and, an, and another leak coming through. Yeah. So and these are things that have the potential to uh, not only cost a lot of money in, um, in long-term issues with the house, but, of course, can have health issues as well too, right? Of course, because where there's water it's, it's, and there's food, it sustains mold growth. Yeah. Wow. We are here with Cynthia Sove, who is a senior occupational hygienist at uh, Island EHS. 
Uh, now, you guys do testing and sampling and things like that, right? We do. Okay. So in terms of mold, we sure. do fungal spore trap sampling. We do tape lift sampling to identify what could be there. Um, but further to the hazardous material surveys that we were referencing before, we do asbestos testing as well as lead testing. Lead testing. Lead testing. Okay, before we get into asbestos, because there's lots to talk about it here, let's, let's talk about that because I think this is something people don't often think about. Sure. So asbestos, we have our in-house lab where we do a lot of our asbestos sample testing. Mm -hmm. It's bulk sample collection. So we go out and we grab a piece of that material of interest. We put it underneath the microscope. We have qualified technicians that have, um, have great backgrounds in geology or biology. They have specialized training. They look at it. They identify what percentage of asbestos is present as well as the type. Yeah. And there are, there are guides as far as what's safe and what is not, right? Um, pretty much it's 0.5% yep. asbestos content, unless you're talking about vermiculite, it's any presence of asbestos. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because that's something, that's a moving target because for some time it was less than 1% was acceptable, right? It was, yeah. and they amended that a few years back. Yeah. I, uh, we, we remind people all the time because, you know, when a consumer is looking at a house to buy and it starts being scary talking about this whole vermiculite or asbestos materials, we remind people that... It was an acceptable method of um, of insulation or an acceptable method of building back then. So it's not like people purposely put dangerous uh, uh, things in homes. It's just that we found out after the fact that it was not necessarily good for you, right? Correct. We put it in over 3,000 different construction projects is what the quotations products. are out there. Yeah, yeah. different products. Wow. I mean, even in everyday household products, we had it for many years, like blow dryers, crock pots, yeah. anything where you had heat yeah. and you wanted to control that, it's a great resource and wow. a great product. You know, actually, I, you've got me thinking now, because I remember, like, my sister's hair dryer in, like, the 80s that had, like, a because I think it was an asbestos uh, um, thing in the heating coil area. Yeah, it could have been, right? Yeah. I don't know. 80 sounds a little late maybe in it was the, the date, 70s. hopefully. I don't yeah. Know. yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just dating yeah. myself here right now. Um, wow. Yeah, so so again, these are these are materials that, that were acceptable back then. So it's a bit of a bummer because we today are faced with having to deal with um, things that were that were entirely appropriate before. We'll talk about that with Ingo a little later too sure. as far as uh, underground oil storage tanks. But um, so testing for asbestos, what, what is that process? So you said you do that in-house, right? We do. Yeah, and do. what's that process like? Like what's the turnaround time? Um, typically, if it's a walk-in, so we do walk-ins within 24 hours, they typically know. Um, some of our clients are obviously restoration, fire, flood. If they have water that's churning out in a public building and we need to address it, we'll advance it to the top of the queue, mm -hmm. just given what they're dealing with and they need to have it addressed. Okay. I want to shift gears really quickly here because uh, we're going to take a break in, a, in just a little bit, talking about lead. So sure. this is also another area that people don't commonly consider. It isn't. And where do we find that? In lead in terms of the household? Um, can I just speak to what's driving yeah, that yeah. from our perspective? So right now, WorkSafe BC, um, just this last year, they have updated their regulation with regard to lead. They made it a little bit more explicit about the regulatory requirements. A lot of what we're talking about asbestos is also WorkSafe BC driven. Um, so where we end up doing a lot of sampling within, say, a residential household, predominantly where we find it is in paint. Yeah. It's, I mean, it paint is everywhere. So we have to test 
all the different layers, the different types that are present. Obviously, the older the home, the more likely that it's deemed lead-containing paint. Yeah. And obviously, we find it in plumbing. Plumbing, soldering fixtures, yeah. it could be present in there. Yeah, the, the things it's not as much of a hazard in, in the solder because you're not going to abrade it, right, and yeah. create all this dust that would then be present. Well, let's talk about that in a minute. But in the meantime, uh, Cynthia, uh, if people need to reach you or, and the company, how would they do that? Sure. So they can always call our main administrative line, which is 778 4060933. We also have our website, which is www.islandehs.ca. Great. And I'm going to post that on the CFAX website as well, too. Uh, but uh, stay put because we're going to uh, continue our conversation right after our break here. Back in just a moment. Now, the whole home show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for returning. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, inspector with Inspect Tech. If you need uh, information, help, or opinions on insurance, mortgages, and building inspection, they are great people to chat with. Today, we're talking about hazardous materials in your home. Uh, our guest, just before the break, was Cynthia Sove, Senior Occupational Hygienist at Island EHS, and she's still here because I want to finish up the uh, line of conversation that we were having. You were talking about lead and how we find uh, lead in... Again, it's one of those things. Why do we put this? Uh, I mean, lead's a funny thing because we don't talk about that a lot nowadays. I mean, it seems that it's been removed from our uh, environment uh, for some time now, but I know it was widely used uh, for a time, right? Uh, it's still widely used. I think I even just saw a debate in the paper about lead fishing lures are still being oh, used and going out into the environment, ammunition from game hunters. So yeah. we like it because it's cheap. And it's, it's heavy. And <laughs> we can recycle it. So, okay. you know, it's a, it's recyclable product. But it does have some health concerns depending on how it's used. Now, what you said before the break, because we were talking about solder in uh, plumbing and Correct. how uh, it's generally benign unless it becomes airborne, right? Correct. Yeah, no, this is true of most of the things. We're talking asbestos. We're talking lead. So um, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so just to clarify, on the lead solder, if it's in your drinking water line, though, unfortunately, it can transfer into your drinking water. So it's not just necessarily oh, airborne for Another lead exposure. Scare. Sorry. Right. Sorry yes. to be the bearer okay. of bad news. All right. um, but that was also something that was obviously well publicized in the media over the last year to consider. Okay. Right? Yep. Um, but yes, in terms of asbestos and lead being abraded and becoming airborne, that's where a predominant risk um, comes into effect for home renovations. Mm -hmm. And you had just said, too, that it's it, it's been at the behest of WorkSafe BC and all these. So so really, the uh, a big concern is when people are working on homes, if it's affecting their health, right? Correct. They're, they're a primary driver in our island environment right now because what they've also done is align themselves with the municipality. So if you need a permit and you need a building inspector to come out, they're saying, Where's your hazardous materials survey conducted by a qualified person so that we're not putting our workers at risk? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, how about the consumers themselves, people in their homes? I mean, obviously, there should be cons concern for them too, right? Oh, for sure. Um, it's a risk perception, right? Some individuals say, oh, I'm 60 years old. I used to work with it. I'm fine. It's not a risk. Um, whereas other individuals obviously have this heightened awareness and do you want to follow all the rules and regulations for their own benefit as well. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to regulate somebody's personal household. For sure. Yeah. For sure. 
Um, now, generally speaking, uh, when it comes to things like asbestos, uh, the, the, the general rule of thought is properties built before 1990 have the possibility of having some sort of asbestos product, right? Yeah, that's a guideline number that's been put out there by WorkSafe BC as a reference as well. Uh-huh. Anecdotally, um, I have heard before about buildings that were constructed a little bit later than that, sometimes having different products. Yeah. So the regulation itself doesn't actually have a start and end date to yeah. when you need to do this testing. But 1990 is probably a pretty good year to reference. Yeah, so one of the things I think that people need to consider and know about is if they're undergoing a house renovation, this is a whole other level that they need to consider because uh, if the testing finds that there are products in the house that are potentially dangerous, WorkSafe BC-wise, then um, the other thing is the added cost of correct removal of these things, right? Correct. And so don't apply that 1990 date to a home renovation. That applies to any home up to current day if you're doing a renovation to have that hazardous material survey done. That 1990 is more just a guideline for the asbestos. Because when we do a hazardous material survey, we do asbestos, lead, PCBs, mercury, arsenic, any other flammable toxic substances that we tend to encounter. Where do we find mercury? Um, Your fluorescent light bulbs have mercury, right? Oftentimes, too, in the older homes, we still see the thermostats with the mercury switch still in them. Yeah, the furnace thermostat, for sure. Yeah, or the thermometer, like, all over, right, in all the different rooms, controlling your heat level. Oh, goodness. All right, so, um, Cynthia, again, if people need to reach you, how do they do that? They can reach us at 778-406-0933, or they could head to our website at www. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot one. www.islandehs.ca. Great. All right. So next up, we have Ingo Lambrecht from PGL Environmental Consultants. Ingo, thanks for coming. You're welcome. Yeah, so Ingo, your um, uh, your area of expertise is uh, things like contaminated soil, right? Yes, contaminated soil, groundwater, soil vapors. All right, and where do we find that, and why do we find it? Well, on a residential home, uh, our most likely culprit is a leaking underground storage tank or an above-ground storage tank. Mm-hmm. And um, as the fuel escapes, it uh, gets into the environment and either makes... Uh, its way through the groundwater or through the soil uh, pores and migrates as a soil vapor. Uh, most of the times the groundwater moves towards um, a receiving um, aquatic site, so uh, a ditch, a creek, uh, the gorge. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a big story. I think we'll talk about that. Yeah. We have a lot of those. Yes. Or it stays within the property and the hydrocarbon vapors move towards uh, a building so again it can make uh, its way through cracks in the foundations and expose the people inside the building okay so uh, as i said a little while ago on on this show here we've got generally speaking the underground oil storage tanks are the culprit they're not all because sometimes above ground tanks can also leak as well too right yes they have a limited lifespan yeah yep. they don't last forever right mm-hmm. um, now underground oil storage tanks why the heck did people put these things in the ground because that doesn't seem really reasonable to me well at the time it was a great idea because they were put out of sight out of mind because they're ugly things right they're ugly things and you can um, you know if you don't uh, you can just build uh, another garden bed on top of them <laughs> and forget about them yeah 
Uh, so they put them in the ground, and they weren't considering the fact that the tanks are made of metal, and when metal gets wet in soil, it can corrode, right? They will corrode and first uh, break down along the seams or where uh, a rock uh, is constantly applying pressure onto the outside of the tank. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with folks from... Um, Oh, where were they from? I think they were from Alberta, Edmonton or something last week or the week before. And they were asking the question, why do we not, why do we see so much oil in town? Uh, and I had to remind them that we have not had natural gas here for very long. It's still a relatively new thing in on Vancouver Island, right? That's correct. And uh, especially some of the older houses, uh, you can see a progression of different uh, heating sources from uh, cordwood to coal Finally, they switch to heating oil and then to natural gas. Yeah, or electric, and, yeah. Or electric, yeah. yeah. And now um, you still have the tanks sitting uh, in the ground. Uh, some of them still have a residual fuel. Some of them were abandoned many years ago and filled with, with sand mm -hmm. to prevent them from collapsing. Which, by the way, was acceptable. So that's in the old days, not old days, I'm talking like maybe even seven, eight, ten years ago, that was acceptable by the municipalities where you rendered them inert, right? Yes, that's correct. Which is cutting, getting down to the tank, cutting it open, pumping out all of the stuff, mm -hmm. filling it in with sand. Now, nowadays, uh, for the listeners, municipalities, it's not just the municipalities, I, I think it is just required to have that metal out of the ground, right? Yes, yeah. The municipalities drive that. Uh, the fire departments want to have them removed and um, the Ministry is of the Environment, they are a little bit uh, less uh, pushy on the residential fuel storage tanks because they recognize the, the difficulties that homeowners often have dealing with those. Yeah, and the amazing thing is a lot of homeowners don't even know they have an underground oil storage tank on their property. That's correct, yeah. 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 Uh, well, listen, we're going to need to take a quick break, Ingo, but before we do, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, the easiest is go to our website and look for either the, our Vancouver Island or Vancouver uh, offices. That's at uh, pggroup.com, or they can call me at 250-818-7132. Great. Thank you, uh, Ingo. Uh, yeah, we're talking about underground oil storage tanks, contamination of soil. This is such a big conversation, especially you alluded to the gorge because there's been an episode in the gorge in the past couple yep. of years here that I want to talk about really briefly. We don't have a lot of time. This I could take a whole episode, actually. Uh, but we're going to take a quick little break here, and when we come back, we'll pick it up again with uh, Ingo Lambrick back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Right now we're having a conversation about contaminated soil and underground oil storage tanks with Ingo Lambrecht from PGL Environmental Consultant. So, uh, Ingo, how important is remediating contaminated soil? Because I think we might have some listeners that say, all right, I know we got an underground oil storage tank. I'm guessing it's leaking because every once in a while I'll dig and I'll smell some oil. What's wrong with just leaving it the way it is? Well, there are several reasons. Uh, one is um, fuel oil is not um, totally um, without a harm for the environment and for human health. So exposure to hydrocarbon vapors will also cause um, health problems in the long term. Um, the migration of the contaminants into the waterways causes uh, all kinds of havoc there. 
and uh, the removal of um, contaminated soil is, of course, uh, there's a cost to it. Now, if you let your contamination migrate um, further and it leaves your property, then you will even have the responsibility to clean up the contamination on the adjacent property. So that's then... um, a case where a property owner could uh, sue the other one and uh, things become even more costly. So as a homeowner, you you have the liability potentially of your neighbor suing you because it is transferred over. Now, actually, uh, here's a question that I don't know the answer to. If you know that there is contaminated soil in your ground, mm-hmm. um, does it continue to leach out or does it stop? Well, the migration depends on so many different factors. Uh, Usually contamination doesn't stop, but the uh, migration depends on, you know, if if your property is flat or sloped, Uh uh, what kind of soil type you have. Do you have uh, clay soil that uh, slows the migration down or is it sandy and gravel? And the groundwater uh, with the contamination tends to uh, travel faster in those uh, media. Wow. Now, is there an acceptable level of contamination uh, when you're doing your uh, soil samples? Yes. Yeah, so every uh, substance or so, uh, the uh, heating fuel is a mixture of different compounds. And for all of those different compounds, there are safe levels uh, established. Uh, that are published in the contaminated sites regulation. And so um, sometimes you have minor contamination that would not exceed the standards. Or um, it is very limited um, in in an area where you have the standards exceeded. And uh, so you have to basically take samples and analyze them and then uh, compare them to the different uh, standards that are established. And that would basically then uh, set the tone if it has to be remediated and how far. Yeah. Now, you alluded to something uh, at the beginning of this conversation here, which is the cost of remediation. And I think mm-hmm. this is something that is uh, very important for consumers to know because it's, it's one th- <laughs> You see, wh- where I'm trying to get to is homeowners, they, it's funny how this conversation comes up mm-hmm. when somebody's thinking of selling their house. But, you know, in many ways, homeowners should be concerned about this, even if they're not thinking of selling. You know, maybe have this looked into to make sure that it doesn't pose a health uh, um, issue, right? And and the other thing, too, is the cost of remediation could be the removal of the contaminated soil, which can be a lot of money, right? Well, yes, the, uh, the cost to um, have an underground storage tank removed um, and have a consultant on site to test the soil and remove a few tons of contaminated soil easily goes into the thousands of dollars, $5,000. So that's, that's definitely a cost and also the inconvenience of somebody coming into your yard uh, digging it up. And, oh, especially uh, if it's under hard service, like pavement or something or absolutely. whatever. Absolutely. It's yeah. something that people really don't want to look at. That's why they were put under the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Inga, let me get this straight. You Actually, you, uh, your company, uh, PGL, actually does not do the tank removal and everything. You're the, you're the sampling uh, company, right? That's correct. So um, the homeowner would either hire um, the removal company um, separately yep. or... Um, go to either one and uh, one supervises the other and so we would be uh, the ones that you get uh, called on site yeah 
and yeah. we basically supervise the segregation of contaminated soil, take the samples, and write a report that the homeowner should keep um, safe. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing too is this is a requirement from uh, not all but most of the municipalities to ha- to have the soil sample. Uh, confirmed, right? Yes, they want to see uh, a report that basically says that there were no was no contamination. Yeah, it's interesting because a couple of the municipalities sort of distance themselves from this as well too. They kind of don't want to get involved in in that whole thing. Uh, some municipalities uh, want to have less involvement and basically let the homeowners uh, cruise at their own speed. Yeah. Um, but other municipalities, uh, especially the ones that have seen uh, those incidents where the contamination migrated off-site, uh, they want to be involved and are a bit more proactive. All right. So that brings us to uh, this whole gorge thing. So people, you can Google it. You can, uh, if, if you want to learn more about what, what has happened. So... Uh, uh, in the gorge area, there was a significant contamination because somebody's tank had perforated, and as the tank was getting filled, uh, a lot of the fuel ended up crossing neighbors' properties and getting its way into the gorge waterway, right? Yeah, that's correct. So the, the, the tank was leaking over years probably and uh, contaminated first the neighboring property. Yeah. And then went into the perimeter drain of that adjacent site and uh, from there into the ditches and into the gorge. Yeah. Now, in that case, we were not talking like a few thousand dollars worth of repair. I mean, this was significant. That was tens of thousands of dollars and it ended up in court. So there were uh, court costs, remediation costs and... uh, and consultant costs. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a scary thing because it 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 has the potential or affected the environment, right? Yes, yes, especially in the gorge, uh, um, an environment that people cherish in Victoria, and having an oil slick there and uh, dead birds and dead fish is is not necessarily uh, something that people want to see. Yeah, Ingo, if people need to reach you, how do they do that? Uh, at uh, pggroup.com or two five zero eight one eight seven one three two. Great, uh, Ingo. And also, since we've got Cynthia Sove here from uh, Island EHS, Cynthia, how do people get in touch with you? We can be reached at our main line, which is 778-406-0933, or alternatively, they can go to our website, www.islandehs.ca. Thanks. So now we have on the line one of our show sponsors uh, and somebody who bumps into this on a daily basis, Building Inspector Carrie Smith from Inspectec. Hey, Carrie, how you doing? Morning, Tony. Always good. Nice yeah. to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're having this conversation about um, contaminated soil, uh, about asbestos, lead, uh, a whole bunch of other things that I think has the potential of scaring away a lot of homeowners right now. Um, you're a building inspector, of course. You're at the front lines here. You're bumping into this on a regular basis. What, typically speaking, is the biggest concern that buyers have when they're looking at a house about these things? Well, lack of knowledge, uh, really. Um, this is fairly new on the horizon. It's uh, Ironically, it's a real shame that these fabulous durable, high-quality building materials that have been used for, you know, almost 100 years. We've now discovered that uh, they're not as good as we used to think, and there's these very significant health implications for, for anyone, and particularly the residents of these homes. Yeah. But um, and, and we hear the, the horror stories in the media and just generally uh, out there, and people think, oh, my goodness, asbestos and the newspaper stories about houses that needed to be dug up and taken away. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of concern and it's justifiable. 
Yeah, so so here's the thing. I mean, we know, I, I mean, Cynthia and I were talking about the fact that we know that asbestos is prevalent in properties, not only just up to 1990, but, you know, potentially in other products as well, too. And, you know, talking to Ingo about the fact that, um, you know, there, there are tanks out there that maybe have contaminated soil now, because y- you are talking to buyers as they're thinking of buying a house. Um, and you, of course, your job is to I- identify these potential items and inform them that these can happen. I, I mean, why don't people just, you know, throw their hands in the air and go, forget it. You know, I'm not going to buy because I'm scared. They still do, right? Well, oh, absolutely. And, and fortunately, with the, the experts that you have in your studio there, uh, um, you know, these scenarios can be, can be handled and addressed and remediated. And everyone goes dancing off into the sunshine. It just takes but some money, right? It, yeah, there's no problem like that that money won't solve. Is yeah. It? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it, there's a cost attached, and we need, and in rare cases, the, the cost is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. So uh, nine times out of ten, in, in my limited experience, for a buried oil tank, for example, is usually $5,000 or less to have addressed, taken away, cleaned up, remediated, that kind of stuff. Not one time in 20, it's ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars mm-hmm. $20,000. And uh, there have been a few cases in Victoria where removing the buried oil tank actually cost more than the house was worth. Yeah. And yeah. What, a, what a kick in the, in the head that is. You put your house for sale and um, looking, you know, maybe you've got an offer on another house, you're looking to move and um, have an inspection done. The inspection says, gee, this 1950s house, there's a pipe sticking out of the ground. I wonder if there's a, still a tank there. And and someone like Ingle comes along and investigates and finds out the house is for sale for seven fifty, and it's going to be eight fifty to take the tank away. Okay, let's let's not scare everyone. Although this is a possibility, like you said, though it's a numbers game, and and yeah. uh, thank goodness it is rare, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's the you know the you you, you win the lottery twice and get struck by lightning three times before that. Happens. <laughs> yeah, well, but and, it is it is possible. But but the 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 I think the biggest point that that we are we're making right now is consumers just need just like you said they need to be educated. They need to know what they're looking at because if they are looking at this eight fifty house uh, yeah. that has the the this potential of a huge cost uh, to remediate, they should know about yeah. that, right? Well, sure. And the answer is deal with professionals. You know, it just shakes me to my core when I found out someone bought a house without an inspection and without a realtor. And they're just saying, well, you know, it looks pretty good to me. Let's uh, let's make a little contract on a paper matchbook and and transfer the funds. Um, It's just it's a game for all the marbles. And you really need to get a get a real a professional realtor. You need an inspection. You need a banker for your mortgage. You just uh, people really. We're only we only see as far as our flashlight shines. (laughs) For sure, and and that's the reason why. That's the reason why we've got the our our guests in the studio here as well too, because they are the professionals in terms of uh, uh, sampling and and um, determining the danger level, right? Well, oh yeah, absolutely. And and ninety percent of the time, ninety plus percent of the time, the danger level is absolutely manageable. And it's just important to be informed and make a decision based on the facts. But yeah, and, and for our listeners to know as well, too, I'm looking at both Cynthia and Ingo in the studio here. They're nodding their heads in agreement as well, too. So, Well, sure. And, and you know, because they, they, you know, they know the Runyons. They've been around the block and, and do, deal with this every day. Um, and, you know, 90% of the time it's just a, a detail in the transaction. But you just don't want to be that. It's just the kind of lottery that you don't want to lose. Um, <laughs> yeah. And. And the way that to, to handle it is to deal with skilled people, 
um, the brother-in-law who used to build sun decks for a living or, you know, the, the um, get the experts. When you're buying a house, you need a professional. The three most important things in buying a house is get a professional, get a professional, get a professional. I love it. Kerry, thanks for coming on. Uh, and thanks for those uh, the words of wisdom. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. So thank you, the listeners, for joining us. I'm Tony Joe. Uh, we'll be here for you this time next week.